It is good to be with you all again. We will be continuing on, as I have the last few times, in from John chapter 14. So if you open your Bibles to John chapter 14, today we will be looking at verse 15. But let, let me read a few verses to give us the context. <clears throat> read verses 1 through 18. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most surely I say to you, whoever believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let us pray briefly before we begin to open up this verse. Our dear Heavenly Father, you have promised that you will give another helper It is the Spirit, and we would pray, as you have also promised, that where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be present with us. So, our Lord, this day we pray that you will send your Spirit among us, that you will help me as I seek to open up your word, that whatever is true will remain, and whatever is not of you will be carried away as chaff. Our Lord, that we will hear the truth of your word, that we will grow in our knowledge of you, in our love for you, and that it will even be unto the salvation of those who have not yet believed in you this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to verse 15 here, we see what many today may view as conflicting or as a conflicting idea. Love and law, love and commandments. 
But here we have Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love for Jesus is inherent in faith in Jesus. Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners will love him. How could one believe in Jesus and not love him? He came to earth and died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Every last one of my sins. All of the sins that I committed before I placed my faith in him. The sins that I continue to commit time after time and the sins that I will commit until the day I died. He took the punishment for them. What kind of love was it that caused the Son of God to go to such lengths for me? How is it that he loved me even when I was adamantly opposed and at war with him? And you have believed in Jesus Christ and known his love for you. You cannot help but love in return. This is why 1 John 4.19, which we say in a hymn that is drawn in large part from it just prior to the message. John 4.19 we read, We love him because he first loved us. He has loved us with a perfect love. And as another hymn states, we have not loved him as we ought but we desire to. We look forward to that day when we will be perfected and we will love him with a perfect love. We will worship him perfectly. You see, in this verse, Jesus is not questioning his disciples' love for him. This is more of an if-then statement. Love for Jesus is a prerequisite for what follows. If one does not love Jesus, then he does not have any part in the promises of Jesus. Faith and love go hand in hand. Previously, we noted the conditional statement in verses 12 through 14. He who has believed on me makes faith a prerequisite for the promises we see in those verses. And here, love is a prerequisite for the promises in verses 15 through 18. Truly, faith in and love for Jesus Christ are the prerequisites for all the promises of the blessings that are contained throughout the Bible. You here who refuse Jesus Christ, who have not put your faith in him. Your trust is in yourselves. And you are in love with yourself. Self reigns supreme for you. And God has made other promises in his word that are applicable to you. Turn with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, and we will begin in verse 15. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see the connection here between John 14 verse 15 and Matthew 7. John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then, in Matthew 7, we have this concept that, if a, that a good tree will bear good fruit. Maybe you sit here today and you say, well, I obey God. I don't worship idols. I don't take the Lord's name in vain. I go to church every Sunday. I haven't killed anyone. Go down through the list and you can check all the commandments off. If you do not love God, you will hear the words of verse 23 in Matthew 7 in the last day. Do you think it was just the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to in verses 21 and 22? Of Matthew 7. There are those who, for example, are faithful in their attendance at church. They don't miss service unless they they are unavoidably hindered. They keep the Sabbath. They don't do work on it. They do it all. But at the end of the day, it's just to check a box on a list of to-dos or not-to-dos. They do it for self-righteous purposes. But there is not one ounce of love for God in their hearts. They are very good Pharisees. Maybe maybe you sit here and you say, Well, I I don't obey for self-righteous purposes. I know what God's law says and I, I fear God and I'm afraid of the punishment. So therefore, I obey His law. Well, there's an issue with that. First John four nine, we referenced First John four nineteen previously, but if we back up a couple of verses, First John four seventeen and eighteen say the following: Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. 
but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, and he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Why is it the case that obedience of God's law out of fear is not true obedience? It is true that God's love requires or forbids certain outward actions. But the real essence of God's law is a heart of love. We are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and to love one another as Christ has loved us. That is the sum of the law. Compliance with God's law only because you fear repercussions is not obedience to the command of love that God has given us. Let me change our focus slightly and point us towards what love for God looks like. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Yes, he is Lord of all creation. He is the God of all power. We ought to have fear and reverence towards him. But we ought to obey out of a heart that loves him. Let me briefly take a just a side sidebar here. As I have mentioned Psalm 100, turn with me to Psalm 100 for a moment. Let me read all five verses here. Psalm 100. A psalm of thankfulness. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures for all generations. There have been in years past, and are some today, that equate worshiping God with a somber, unemotional mindset. But that's not what we see from David in Psalm 100. He says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Is that the attitude that we come and gather today? Is that the attitude that we have as we worship God? What a wonderful thing it is. To have a day where we can devote our hearts and minds in thanksgiving and praising our God and learning more of His greatness and His love for us. God has created us with emotions. Emotion is not wrong. We see the emotion that Jesus demonstrated multiple different occasions. If we, if we apply this to our human relationships, I think we can see an obvious connection. If you have a husband and wife, and they don't fight, 
They don't have constant problems, but you never see any excitement and love demonstrated one for another. Wouldn't you think that something's a little bit off? If you had a relationship between parents and kids where maybe dad gets home from a business trip, has been away from a few days, kids are like, oh, hi, dad. Or the dad comes in and it's like, oh, hi, family. Walks off and does his thing. Something would be off, right? Do we have that excitement and love for our God as we meet with him? That we ought to. I'm not advocating for some emotional frenzy as you see in certain groups. What I'm saying is that the way we live our lives, the way we gather and worship God, should be conducted in a manner that will cause the world to come to a conclusion that we are those who have love for our Heavenly Father. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. So as we shift to the second half of this verse, we see, and let me pause here to make a note. Uh, I, in, I'm working out of the New King James, which renders it, keep my commandments. Other versions render it, you will keep my commandments. And I think both are helpful for applications. But note, note again the connection between love and the law. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think it is worthy to note how the world distorts that which is right and good, even when they advocate for it. I am sure we have all seen things where some secular sources suggest that the solution to all of our problems is love. Love everyone. Everyone just needs to love. But this typically also goes hand in hand with you need to be accepting of everyone and what they think and what they feel. There should be no moral absolutes. That is in direct conflict with what we see Jesus say. In this verse, the world's idea of love is a very self centered, man centered concept of love. Because of this idea that love and law are compatible, say nothing about inherently connected as Jesus sets them before us, that idea is absolutely absurd to the world. And here again we see how flawed the wisdom of man is. Let's take a minute to consider why it is that we will keep his commandments if we love him. First, it is what pleases God and delights him. Isn't it true that if you love somebody, you will seek to do that which they delight in? whether it be a family member or a friend that you know well, when they have mentioned something that delights them, or you know that there is some behavior that pleases them, don't you look for opportunities 
to do that which they will appreciate as a demonstration of your love for them? We who are converted, we who have known the love of our God, His great unmeasurable love, love that we cannot even fully comprehend, will we not endeavor to give our lives to Him in some meager form of service and obedience that we can manage? Building on this, if we love God, we will seek to be more like Him. We will seek to be like Jesus Christ, to keep God's law as Jesus kept it. Even though we will fall far short of our goal, it is still our goal. How many times do you see a child try to be just like their parents? I think most, if not all children, at some time put their shoes in their parents' or put their feet in their parents' shoes and they try and walk around in them. And it is somewhat comical and they don't work very well, but yet they are trying to be like their parents. Let me highlight one specific example of being Christ-like and what flows from it. Turn back to John 14. I'm sorry, turn back to John. We'll flip over to John 15. John 15. We will read verses 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These verses are amazing. Jesus makes the connection between us and him and the Father. And he says, be like me in this manner. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments, you obey my commandments. Then he goes on and he says, just as I abide in my Father's love, you will abide in my love. To abide in the love of God as a son did in the Father's love Truly a wonderful thing. So we have come full circle. We love because he first loved us. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. And if we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. John Gill notes, To such that observe the commandments of Christ, he will continue to make further discoveries of his love. And let them see more clearly and largely what a value he has for them and how much he loves them. As we see more of God's love for us, our love for him will increase. 
I hope we have a better appreciation for the interconnectivity between love and the law of God, the fact that they are not at odds with one another. Far from it. Final theme that I will note before we move to applications is the connection back to the theme of faith and trust and believing in Jesus that we have in the first part of chapter 14. We believe, Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then we will also believe that what he commands of us will be in our best interest. What God requires of us is not just some arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. God did not just pick some random list to be a spoil sport and make sure we don't have any fun at all. That which God commands us to do is that which is for our own good. That which God has forbidden is only that which is harmful to us. Those who look at God's law and there are those who look at God's law and scoff at the idea of keeping it. They look at it as oppressive. They see it as that which would prevent them from doing what they want to do. Here we see why unbelievers are referred to as blind. They are consumed with the desires of the flesh. They are consumed with the things of this world. Whatever will provide them with gratification in that moment is what they want. They are incapable of seeing the pain and sorrow that their actions will result in in the end. How much happiness do these things end up bringing to people? They may find pleasure in them for a time, but sooner or later that pleasure will fade. They will be left in misery searching for the next thing that will give them pleasure to take their mind off of their current condition. You think of those people you see in the news who have it all. They have riches. They have money. They can buy whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. How many of those people are happy? How many of those people do you end up hearing about suffering from great depression? Because the things of this world do not result in true happiness. You don't have to scroll very far through Facebook to even see what I'm talking about amongst your friends and acquaintances. Now, by way of application, we have looked at how if we love God, we will keep his commandments. But what are the commandments of God? Well, as we have already observed, the entire Bible is filled with his commands. They could all be summarized down to what we have contained in the Ten Commandments, and those can be boiled down to what we have in Matthew 22, when the Pharisee asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus responded, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We have already noted that if we love God, we will seek to do that which pleases Him. And we will seek to do that which delights Him. Here we see, though, that keeping God's commandments boil down to loving Him and loving our neighbor. Note here that when we connect Matthew 22 with our passage, we see the essence of what Jesus is saying. If you love me, you will love me, and you will love your neighbor. If you love me, you will love. So, do we love God? Are our hearts and minds occupied with thoughts of God? Do we meditate on him? Remember what he has done for us? Do we trust in him, hope in him, and render all praise and thanks to him? Do we seek to please him in all we do and are saddened when we do that which offends him? Do we seek to connect do we seek to correct ignorance and forgetfulness of him? Do we refrain from inordinate and immoderate setting our mind, will, or affections on things on other things and taking them off of him in whole or in part? Does it grieve us when we find ourselves a lukewarmness and deadness to the things of God? Are we content and patient with that which he does in our lives even when it is not what we would choose? That list of questions is not original to me. It comes from the Westminster Larger Catechism on what is required and forbidden in the first commandment. That's just the first. I would recommend the exercise in looking at the larger catechism and what it requires and forbids for all the Ten Commandments. The list is lengthy, and it will remind us of how far short we fall of God in our obedience to him. Our love for God, though, ought to be all-consuming. The world will even note when a person is inordinately consumed with something. We would typically use the word obsessed. That person is obsessed with sports. That person is obsessed with fashion. That person is obsessed with, you fill in the blank. And the world, the world recognizes that there are degrees to which obsessions can be very unhealthy. But we ought to be obsessed with our God. We can never be too obsessed with him, his word, and his commands. I fear that this is a problem with the evangelical church in America. God is not their supreme love. In some cases, he's not even close. Entertainment reigns supreme in all the many forms that it takes. It seems like there are too many other things that are important and must be done. It seems like it is completely unreasonable 
that God would expect more than one hour on a Sunday morning. There's just too much else to do. I mean, we only have a two-day weekend. Demanding a whole day of my two-day weekend? That's just an old-fashioned, puritanical, legalistic notion. If we love God, devoting a whole day to worshiping Him should be our pleasure and delight. If you doubt my assertion, I would point to the largest worship center and organization in America, or at least one of them. Let me describe this to you. They will have over a million people in attendance for much of the year, many of whom would be willing to pay large sums of money to attend in person, and millions more will pay some sum to be able to view remotely. They'll give four plus hours of their Sundays to the study and attendance of these sessions. They will be annoyed with any disruption or interruption. I speak of the NFL. The NFL is a very obvious example since all of their games occur on Sunday. But you could replace this with many other things, activities, forms of entertainment that people are willing to devote large portions of their time to prioritize because that is what is most important to them. People are willing to devote countless hours and dollars with no commandment to multiple things. But the moment you mention the Sabbath, there is a hundred and one reasons why that shouldn't apply to us anymore. Why? Because there is no love for, or desire for God. We who hold to the Sabbath, we very well may come to church, make sure we are here for every service. But I confess, at least for me, there are those times where I come and my mind will wander. There's other things that have taken priority. There's frustrations, getting the kids up, getting them ready, getting them out the door. And Man, it would be so much easier to just relax. But, thanks be to God, He has worked in our hearts and given us love. That love is not what it ought to be. But let that love grow. Let us look to Psalm 100 and rejoice and delight in coming on the Lord's Day in taking that time in our daily devotions to worship our God, to study His Word, to lift our prayers and our praise to Him. Now, again, this is just one, one commandment out of the ten, one commandment out of many that we could highlight Let us each examine our hearts and our lives and see whether they are reflective of a love for God. Let us deal seriously with those things that 
we find have taken an inordinate hold on our affections. Let us destroy them and seek to annihilate them as we see the actions taken in the Old Testament by those righteous seeking to annihilate idol worship. If we allow our lives to be governed by anything other than that which God commands us, it is an idol. Now, moving on. Do we love our neighbors? Note the command is not, don't be mean to your neighbors. Don't do things to actively irritate your neighbors. But love your neighbor. You see, I think many of us may be able to filter our words when we speak with that person that is particularly annoying to us. We may refrain from engaging in any actual action that would be mean. But do we love them? And at least for me, there's a couple faces that pop into my mind when I speak of that. That that person is just really hard to love. They really have to fall into that category of my neighbor. Whether it is someone we like to be around and is easy to love, or it is somebody we would rather avoid so we can avoid this commandment to love, this is what God has commanded of us. Someone does us wrong, are we long-suffering? Do we look at the wrong that was done to us and view it as a small thing? compared to the sin that we have committed against our God? Do we look past the wrong that was done to us and continue to do that which is kind and loving to that person and in their best interest? Note, I do not say that which is what they want, because sometimes what a person wants is not in their best interest. Sometimes, Loving a person will mean reporting or addressing the wrong that was done because we know that if they continue to do it, it will only be to their own hurt. Such actions, though, should not be rooted in a vindictive or vengeful heart, but a heart of love that truly desires what is best for the person. Do we think the best of others, or are we always assuming the worst intentions, and motives. If we think the best of others and put as charitable a viewpoint on their actions as possible, we will be more inclined to be loving toward them. If we love our neighbor, we will not be those that are set off by the smallest irritation or annoyance. In considering our love for our neighbors, we must look at the example we are to follow, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who did Christ love, and to what degree? Turn to Luke 7.
Luke 7, and we'll pick up verse 36. <clears throat> Luke seven thirty six. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, Say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing to, with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We must not be those that rank sin, be of such mind that certain sinners are so detestable that we cannot associate with them and are under no obligation to love them as Christ loved us. Note carefully. We should not view the sin lightly. We cannot dismiss sin, but we ought to be those that are burdened with love for our fellow man, that they may be saved as we are. They may, like the woman in Luke 7, weep over how great their sin was and how great a Savior Jesus Christ is. Jesus associated with and preached to tax collectors, Samaritans, sinners. The Pharisees would seek to avoid all interactions with these that were in need of hearing the truth of God's word. 
Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do we have this heart of love for our neighbor? Let us seek that our love for God will be so great that we will love our neighbors and demonstrate his love toward them that they will come to know him. Let us seek to spread the gospel and point others to the Savior of sinners. That even those who have indulged themselves in sin, God will take and make his own. Those that Satan has in his grasp will come to be those that gladly own the title of a bondservant of Jesus Christ, though it may cost them everything. If you are here and you are not converted today, look at the woman in Luke 7. Jesus said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It does not matter what sins you have committed. It does not matter how long you have refused Christ. You may be the chief of sinners. You may have committed sins that this world was revolted by. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will save you. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you that we can address you as Father because of the love that you had for us before time. The love that you declared in the garden to Adam and Eve when you promised the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. The love you had when you and your son conceived the plan of salvation for us that required him to die on the cross for us. The greatest demonstration of love this world has ever known. And our Lord, we would pray that as we Study your word that we will come to see more of this love, this eternal love that we as mankind can hardly comprehend. Our Lord, that as we grow in our love for you, that we will grow in our obedience for you, and that we will grow more in our love for you as we know more of you and what you would require of us and the goodness and rightness of your commands. How You only do that which is for our own good. Our Lord, what a great God we serve and worship. What a great Savior we have. We would pray that this day, many, this place and throughout the world, will come to know him as their Savior and will taste of love and joy and happiness that can only be found in him for the first time in their lives. 
we pray blessing on the remainder of this day. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.